an intro, but I'll just say uh, this is the inaugural first episode of Earbuds, a podcast with my bud, Brett. Oh, and my and bud, his Lucas. Bud. Yeah, your bud, Lucas, and other buds that we'll probably talk about as we go through these episodes and talk about the albums. Because to me, buds are very important when it comes to listening to music. And uh, I am talking about drugs. And, and I'm talking about friends. Yeah, you're talking about friends. I'm talking about buds and nugs. <laughs> and, uh, but this, um, th- we don't know fully what the podcast is going to be really about, except we're going to pick an album every episode. We're going to each listen to the album separately, come back and talk about it and, you know, hash out how we feel about it, why we like it, why we don't like it. We might break down the songs. We might go through one by one and, and talk about what we like about each one. And we might, into get, might get into some uh, off-topic stuff as well that'll probably come up while we're going through the album. It's going to be a very, uh, a very free-form type of music discussion, I'd say. Yeah, open conversation, free-form conversation. Um, you ha- I haven't introduced you yet, so you're not really supposed to talk. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay, Ackerman. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, I am... One half of Earbuds, I am Lucas, um, I am a huge music fan, and especially a huge fan of the band that we're talking about today, and the album that we're talking about today, and my co-host, my bud, my earbud, my boogie. Uh, can, I, can I talk yet? Or? God damn it, let me say your name. Alright, yeah, sorry about that, that was my bad. Brett. Hi. <laughs> What's up? You're Brett. <laughs> I'm Brett. I'm, I'm uh, a bud, uh, and I have very recently gotten into this band because of Lucas. The reason we're doing this album is because I wanted to start off the first episode of this podcast with what Lucas would have chosen for his past podcast. Uh, yeah, the podcast I had two episodes um, that I never released to this day. <laughs> that you spent a lot of time reco- writing and recording a cover song of a Mars Volta of ah. Mars Volta, which is crazy that I haven't released that. I well, feel horrible fine. and I'm glad you brought it up. I, I, I can't listen to that cover, dude. I can't I mean, listen to my voice. It's Mars Volta. It's <laughs> it, who can do it. I, I doubt they can even do it anymore. I mean, I have seen live videos and that dude does struggle. <laughs> his voice is crazy. The falsetto stuff. It's like there's no way you can recreate that live sounding that good. Yeah. It like honestly, like it it just doesn't it, it just it's literally just like a studio thing. Uh I don't know. And it's crazy that like at the drive in their band before the Mars Volta sounded like it did because his singing voice in that band is absolutely different. Yeah. You know. He's almost screaming in it. Yeah, and then he like, and then first album Mars Volta, he's coming out with the. It's like, where'd you, how'd you figure that out? How'd that yeah, happen? very. I mean, that's it's funny that we're bringing up Mars Volta, um, because I feel like this is, our expanded's first step towards, kind of wanting <laughs> to be Mars Volta, trying to sound like Mars Volta, a little more prog rock. For sure. Experimental psychedelic stuff, um, oh, but yeah. still a little rooted in their like ska punk um, uh, origin, like where they originally started. But I guess 
Yeah, uh, the the album that we're talking about, we should listen or we should talk about that right now. We should mention it yeah. is um, the Resignation by Arx Bandits. It's their third studio album, I believe. Um, fourth, fourth studio album, possibly. Yeah, I, it might be their Bandits third release halfway. on Drive Through. Yeah, Progress. I think. Yeah, I think there it's their third release on on Drive Through Records. Yeah, they had Halfway Between Here and There, then Progress, then the resignation and it's funny you that you brought up my old podcast that I tried starting because the whole idea of that podcast was like let's talk about an album that was like big for you in terms of like how that this made a big impact in your life or you know you needed it at a moment where you you know you were going through something and the album helped you get through it whatever and when I f- was first thinking of the podcast ideas immediately I thought of Arx Bandits because I have like such a close connection to uh, almost all their albums. Um, and mm-hmm. my first thought was that progress because of the emotion around when I was listening to that album and the things that I was going through um, were really powerful and something that that album legit, which this hasn't happened often. I don't even know if it's happened since that album legitimately uh, helped me through a time of my life. Like I was listening really? to that album almost every day. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny thinking about it back now because that time in my life was like, they found basically it's, it's nothing life threatening or serious, but I had to get surgery. And, um, so I was kind of, I got surgery in the beginning of summer after ninth grade, I believe. And, uh, I couldn't do anything all summer except basically like lay down and just like sit on a couch or lay down on a bed. Um, and I was really just depressed. I couldn't hang out with friends that summer. I couldn't do anything active. I couldn't drive my own car, even though I wasn't driving at the time. It was just, it was a, it was a shitty summer for me. And that, and it was also going to the hospital a lot, almost every week. Um, oh, wow. To get checkups after the surgery to make sure that I'm healing right. And also at the time, because my dad was kind of like a, not a hypochondriac, um, but whatever it's called, like, it's not Munchausen, but he, he basically like, I had like six, five or six different like specialist doctors when I was growing up wow. and it was all cause of my dad. He was like, Oh, we need a, a doctor for your allergies. We need a doctor for, um, to monitor your, um, uh, puberty, like an endocrinologist. <laughs> really? We, yes. Like, like, um, it's shitty dude. Every time I went to my endocrinologist, he measured my balls and fucking dick every single time to see how I was developing and if I was delayed or it it was a very weird way to go through puberty because my dad, when I was like 14, he just started getting concerned for some reason. He's like, Oh, you're not, you're not getting tall quick enough or, Oh, you're not like losing your baby fat quick enough. Or for some reason, like he thought I wasn't developing quickly. So I had some sort of like stunted growth and he was like, we need to go to the endocrinologist and we need to make sure that your levels are right, that your testosterone is at the right level. And if not, we need to like put you on treatment and blah, blah. And I went on like hormone treatment growing oh, up, wow. getting testosterone shots once a month, um, that my dad would administer thankfully because he was a doctor and we could just do it at home. But I feel like um, you shouldn't yeah. do that while you're going through puberty. I have no idea what my dad's issue was. Even to this day, when I bring it up, he's just like, Oh, you know, I'm so thankful that, that you <laughs> developed fine or I don't even know. But yeah, like this summer, or that summer that like I 
I think my friend Davey gave me a, a copy of Progress. He was like really into Arcs Bandits. That was it on came CD out. or vinyl? Or? It was on CD. Okay. And he, and that actually, that my birthday was a few months before that. And he had given me um, Newfound Glory's self-titled album for my birthday. Yeah. And then a few months later, gave me Progress by Arcs Bandits. And I don't even know if he knows this, but like those two albums changed my life. Um, and progress became a source of like emotional support for me. So when I was thinking about, I was basically every time I went to the doctor, which was multiple times a week for like a whole summer, I was just listening to that album, like on my CD player. And so that helped me get through a really tough time. So whenever I was thinking about this podcast, I was just like, well, progress is probably the album that had the most impact on me or like that I have the deepest emotional connection with, but the resignation, the album that we're going to talk about now is my favorite Arx Bandits album. You've said before, when you just first started doing your album of the day, you called this the only album that could potentially be a 10 out of 10 in your eyes. Yeah, which I don't even, now after going through this whole year of listening to a new album every day, I don't think this album would be a 10 out of 10 anymore, but this oh. is the album, yeah, but wow. pretty fucking close. Not not say, I mean, it's a 9.8 if the lowest it'll get, but uh, it's... Yeah, this 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 album is what I basically what what I compare everything else that I listen to, and I can be listening to a, a hip hop record or a dance record or whatever, and I go, is it to me the top of the top? My favorite album of all time, what I consider almost flawless, is The Resignation. So I'm like, everything is being compared to that. It's like whenever you date a girl and y'all break up <laughs> and you never get over it, and every single girl that you date or whoever you date after that, you just, just constantly kind of keep comparing that. it to this person. Yeah. And like they're the standard, you know, like to me, the resignation is the standard of a rock record that also mixes in so much of other types of music that I love that has always been something I wanted to do in music is have a band where you can mix metal and punk and reggae and uh, have horns and have keyboards and and yeah. all this stuff going on at once and you get to basically play whatever you want and it all comes really cohesively together and I think this is like one of the best examples of mixing in a lot of varied genres of music and just completely pulling it off like like I said almost flawlessly yeah for sure you could you could go on for a very long while kind of naming uh, genre influences and like musical band influences in this record, you know? And yeah, like we talked about Mars Volta already. Yeah, Mars Volta. Like, and they have, you know, they still, I feel like on this record, they had, they were kind of leaning more towards their reggae side than their ska side mm -hmm. when it kind of came to that, that dub stuff. Yeah. Not saying that didn't have any like ska on the record at all, but I feel like they. Very little. Yeah, very little. I feel yeah. like they, they kind of lean more into the reggae side, which is something they kind of, I mean, they did it on Progress, and they might have done it on Halfway, but here they really kind of went full into it, I think. Yeah, I when I was listening to this, to the resignation the other day, A, 
sang along the whole time and listened to lyrics <laughs> or read the lyrics as I sang along. And Christina thought that I was recording a song because she was, she was working in her room and I was just singing full tilt. You were just going full blast. Oh dude, we'll get into it. But like, yes, singing full blast. <laughs> and then immediately my Spotify started playing progress, like from the first track right oh, wow. after resignation ended. And I didn't stop it. I then listened to another hour <laughs> of progress, sang along, read the lyrics. A lot of, honestly, there was a lot of times where like, I never sat down and, and read the lyrics while listening to either of those records. So there were a lot of things that I didn't realize he was saying. So like, I took a bunch of notes down cause I was just like, I had no idea that's, that's, that was the, the lyric or, you know, I would sing in something completely different. It's kind of, it's weird. You listen to these songs for years and years and years and you like, I literally know, my I favorite album idea, but yeah. they're saying, I know the sounds at least, you know? Yeah. I know, I know the phonetic sounds that he's making. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm filling in the blanks Well, in my head. And I was, this album came out in 2003. That's, that's crazy to think about. 17 years old at this point. Cause um, it, I mean that, that album, this album could come out today and it would be just as relevant and just as like musically like unique, I think. Yeah. I don't know anyone else that has done that has written music like this. It's it. They kind of they're they're kind of in a lane on their own. You know who goes from a full blown ska band to like a progressive rock metal ska thing. Like yeah, no one you no one has it? that journey. Yeah, I don't even know. It it really uh, bothers me too because like Spotify will give you recommendations based on the artists that you listen to and. Anytime you listen to Rx Bandit's radio, it's ska music. And, like, they need to... No one knows what you pair Rx Bandit's with. Like, you have to pair it with Mars Volta, with The Police, with um, probably maybe even Bob Marley with some of the reggae stuff that they, you know, mix in or maybe other more aggressive reggae. Um, but, yeah, there's there's really... Like, they really are in their own class. And uh, and, and the songwriting is, is really in its own class. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I also read the lyrics on my second listen, kind of along with the songs. And a lot of that stuff, you know, is even is very, very relevant today. Yeah, you know? I feel like they were. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, you know, just he it's a lot of it's a lot of stuff that is very hard to not come off as preachy. I feel, but he does it really well. And just talking about like, you know, think for yourself and like the system, man, it's kind of a lot of punk type lyrics, but very delivered angsty. in a very not punk vocal way. <laughs> yeah. The packaging of the way that they put this album together, it is like a straight up, almost a protest punk record lyrically. Yeah. For sure. And then, yeah, they package it together in this weird prog rock, punk, ska, like, package. And it definitely keeps you, um, it it keeps you so engaged because, again, like, you, you, I, especially at the time, in 2003, I was um, 17 or 16 when this album came out. And I had never heard anything like it before. So to me, when I was listening to this, it it took me probably a year of listening to it because I was so 
obviously, like I, like I said, progress, the album that came up before this was life changing for me and very like, I had a lot of emotion tied to it. A lot of personal experiences tied to it. Yeah. So when resignation came out, it was so different right off the bat with sell you beautiful. Like the first track was so different that I was like, I don't know if I like this. And it took me <laughs> a while of listening to it over and over and over again to, uh, to appreciate and love most of the songs, but even some songs I would skip and wow. um, for the first like year that I was listening to it. And then all of a sudden it's kind of one of those things that happened with sublime. It happens with a lot of other bands for me that I'll skip certain songs because the way that they start and I just won't give them a chance. I'm like, eh, I don't like it and I'll skip it. And then after years of skipping that track, I'm like, this is one of the only songs I haven't really heard by this band. Like I've heard everything else a hundred times. <laughs> I'm going to listen to this now because this is new to me. And, and I did that same, I did that on resignation and that's where, and I'll call out some of the songs where we're going through it. That's, that's where the, the full appreciation of the album really started and listening to the album as a whole, I think is, is necessary. You can take out these songs and jam them on their own and they all stand alone as solid songs. But you, this is a full album. I feel like this is a, something you sit down and you listen to front to back. For sure. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel it, the song order was a little interesting. And I kind of had this theory that they put these songs in pairs. Okay. Uh, is it because I, they kind of blend into each other a lot where like the outro will become the intro of the next song? Sometimes. Uh, but like, uh, like the first song, so you beautiful and prophetic, uh, like the first one's about basically like models in Hollywood and stuff and like plastic mm -hmm. surgery and that stuff. And prophetic, uh, from kind of what I gathered is kind of not being satisfied with yourself and right. even kind of self harming because of it. And I thought it was interesting how the, these two viewpoints on, on what some may see as the same thing is like these Hollywood stars, not satisfied with their looks and they want to change it. And in prophetic, you're not satisfied with yourself. So mm -hmm. you, you know, like try to self harm to make up for it or something like that. And, uh, yeah. And I the pressure of, of society and also pressure of like that guy has abs. Why don't I have abs? Yeah. You know, yeah. that girl, her lips are so full. How come my lips aren't that full? I'm ugly compared to her. And, uh, yeah, just kind of through the album And this, this may not hold because I'm so bad at like song meanings and depth and stuff. Uh, yeah. but like never slept, slept so soundly and taking chase as the serpent slithers so are both, uh, kind of, kind of, kind of drug things from what I gathered. That could also be portrayed as like a female relationship, you know. Uh, I can't wait to get into this. Yes. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, without further delay, should we just get into it? Yeah, fuck it. Um, definitely want to say that if you haven't heard this album before, pause this. We have a link in whatever mm. you're listening this, whatever app you're listening to this on, or whatever. We have a, a link, hopefully, that we can. Uh, you guys can click and it will take you to the earbuds playlist on Spotify where you can listen to this album. So if you haven't heard this before, definitely click on the link or whatever. I mean, you know, listen to it afterwards. If we made you interested from us breaking it down and talking about how much we love it or hate it, yeah. but 
I would definitely think it's a it's a great experience or it'd be a better experience to listen to the album and then come back and listen to us talk about it and maybe you can you know comment or, or send us a message or whatever on things that you agreed with us on or disagreed with us and and why and, and what you, how you guys perceive the album what you maybe think some of the themes are and stuff like that but yeah go click on the link listen to the album either right now or right after this and uh yeah and yeah let's get into it because this is my favorite album of all time <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's a band that i'm always surprised that people know um whenever i bring it up because they i feel like no one knows who these guys are yeah um, for sure i only found out about them because it, one of their songs is on a guitar hero game you know yeah which one <laughs> it was uh the second one on mandala uh, just another parsec. Oh, that's and such a good song. That was on like Guitar Hero Five or something, and the drum part was so crazy. Sick. Like I didn't really initially enjoy the song so much at first, uh, but the drum part was so crazy, and I was like, I have to know what he's doing, like in the beginning and in the choruses, and like so I listened to it again and again and again, and was like, wait a second, I think these guys actually might be, might be l- worth looking into. <laughs> oh yeah, and that was on the album where they didn't have horns anymore. That was on Mandala. Yeah, Mandala. So you know, cut to me uh, listening to like their other stuff and like figuring out they were a ska band. Yeah, being like, what the fuck? <laughs> when, the, when that second song off Mandala was my first experience. Man, you know, is that the song that starts out with a weird? Um, <laughs> Yeah, you don't. I don't know what the fuck the drums are doing on that song. I still don't know. I should know his name. Again, this is my favorite band, and I don't even know the drummer's name. Like, I don't look into shit like that. Um, I know Matt Embry. Amazing drummer. Incredible. Amazing drummer. Always delivers every single song. And he plays it the same way every time. I've seen these guys live. I think three times and he, he doesn't fuck around. It's not like he's jamming and just knows how the song goes. Like he has that part written, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he has a great side project too, which unfortunately I've never been able to find the album that I listened to in college. It was so good though. It's like just him and it's all electronic music called technology. And I found him on Bandcamp, and he has a couple of songs on Bandcamp, but it is not the album that I used to listen to in college. And it was one of the best like electronic albums I'd heard at the time. Obviously this is like 10 years ago, but um, yeah. So you have been kind of dipping into our band. It's like, again, like you heard them in guitar hero, which guitar hero, right? When it came out. Yeah. That's so, that's the first time I'd heard of them. That a, that's so huge for them to be on a, on a video game like that. And I can't, I honestly can't believe that they were. On that, like who, someone that was curating music for that game heard Arx Bandits and were just like, okay, like the guitar work, incredible, uh, vocal work, incredible, drums, incredible. Like, I'm so glad that they got that level of like commercial success because like to be in a, in a video game like that is really huge for them. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. But you listen, that song that was on there was two albums after Resignation. Yeah. So... What did you listen to after you'd heard that song? What was the first album by them that you listened to? Well, uh, I listened to that song a lot. And then I went on a Reddit 
page where it was like, what are some 10 out of 10 perfect albums? And Gemini, Her Majesty was on there. No shit. So that was the second one I listened to. That is a really good record. <laughs> That's her last record. It is. Yeah. And, you know. That, that's kind of when I started to get more into them. And then I dropped them off, got in a band with you, just offhandedly mentioned them one time. And, and I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, now we're here. And then I kind of, I just started looking out all their other stuff. Started with Mandala first, because that was where my first song was. And then I was going to do a video on the entire discography. So I, right. I was just kind of going down the line. And so I've gotten, I've gotten a taste of every album. But the the transition from progress to the resignation is, I think, by far the most drastic change. The biggest jump. Music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Starting with Sell Your Beautiful. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, going from, like, the ska punk that they were playing in, in progress to, like, almost completely abandoning the ska aspect of their music on their very mm-hmm. next album. And progress was really big for them also. Like, that was where a lot of people first heard them. And so it's, it's, I feel like so envious of you that you just heard these guys in the last four or five years. <laughs> One of my favorite things. I'm experiencing them for the first time. Yeah, dude. Like I remember the first time listening to all of these albums. Like I made it a point to like sit there and just listen to it. And, um, it was such an experience like being able to do that. And especially with, um, with resignation and, and the battle begun, both of those were just very, in the moment, sit down, turn off all of the distractions and just listen to this record. Um, the day it came out, like I got him immediately. And, uh, at least in the battle begun, my buddy Davey got me resignation, but, or no, he got me progress. I'm losing track anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's a, a really fun journey. Whenever you find a new band and they have five albums or six albums that you can dip into and realizing that each album stands on its own as a certain era of that band. Mm-hmm. Cause Gemini, her majesty is basically an extension of Mandala. I'd say so. It almost sounds like B sides of Mandala to me. It sounds like unreleased stuff that like we wrote this in the session. We feel like these songs are good enough to put out because it, in my opinion, other than those damn bandits, uh, and probably halfway between here and there, because I just, you know, there's good ska songs on there, but it is, it's still ska. So it doesn't get any fucking respect. Yeah. Gemini or majesty is probably their, my least favorite of their albums. I think it's their weakest material outside of their early ska stuff. Oh, wow. It's still really good. Their weakest shit is still fucking great. <laughs> yeah. I still sure. love it, but I recognize it as like, this is not lyrically or musically even. It's not as good as their previous stuff. And obviously that's very subjective, but uh, yeah, there's something like this album has the, the prog rock aspect of it. I love that they just kind of like bridge in between each song with outros and jams there's one song I forget which song ends with like a three minute outro. That's essentially its own song in and of itself. I believe that's dinner dog, man. I can't wait to talk about that song too. All right, let's get through. <laughs> let's, let's start fucking jumping in. All right, How far into it. this let's... fucking shit are we? Oh, only 35 here. minutes until we're start, starting to finally you know. talk about it. <laughs> we're t- we've been talking around it for the last, you know, 25 minutes. Yeah. Solid. Uh, all right, let's go. Let's start breaking down each track. So the, it opens up with sell you beautiful. 
fucking doesn't let up balls to the wall rock song to open like such a great way to open a record you know oh, yeah I, those hits at the beginning just like hit hard and like you immediately the production you like the production value is insane on this album like, was, it sounds so so smooth and crisp and mm, juicy yeah i there this is the album where they started playing um the guitars were playing les pauls before, oh, yeah. before they were playing, uh, I want to say Fenders, and then they started playing Les Pauls on this record. So the the tone is way warmer of the guitars and way richer. And they abandoned the ska kind of high end, very little low end sound that people that ska bands have. Like they they yeah. kind of got a more rock um, mixing, and you can immediately tell. Yeah, like the syncopation hits and and all the the way that sell you beautiful opens and then it's just, it's, it's doesn't stop for two and a half, three minutes. It's just, just <sighs> it just goes hard. It goes in the paint and it goes the whole time, man. Yeah. Time signature <laughs> changes here and there too. Like, um, having That's, a lot more fun with that on this record. Oh yeah. I, I wanted to say, uh, like one of the notes I took down for this album on this song is it, it like our expanded is one of those bands that, loves to play around with those odd time signatures but it doesn't feel like an like it doesn't feel off like it feels smooth and like comprehensive you know what i'm saying yes it doesn't feel like uh like a protest the hero type um prog rocker or you know <laughs> math rock or anything where you you literally you can't groove to it yeah it just changes it's, every other measure yeah like uh, uh rush and pup do this well as well, I think. Uh, but I think it's when you know that you're good at it. Oh yeah, you're like you're comfortable with it. You yeah, know, you know what you're doing. You're not kind of like counting out like okay, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two. Uh, like it, it just it just feels like the song, you know. Mm-hmm. And it feels like you're like, bobbing your head to the same rhythm the whole time. You're not really having to Somehow. be like, Oh, oh yeah. no, Oh, I got off there. Or it's, <laughs> they do it so seamlessly. And I feel like the way that Chris plays drums too might be like really clever in that sense too, because when they're changing time signatures, he's doing so much shit all the time. Like he is never <laughs> satisfied with just playing a four, four beat. Yeah. The four on the floor shit. Like he is never satisfied with just playing that. So it might be, maybe he gets away with, the time signature stuff if he's not totally crisp and like right on there with the beat because he's doing crazy shit already that he's just like he just kind of like slips back into it and he's like oh, see, i was there i was playing it <laughs> i think it's a it's probably a combination of that and uh the vocals honestly yeah he has a way of the 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 way he lines up syllabically is that like however you say that he the way that he delivers the lines is it doesn't feel like he's cutting off a half step at the end or doesn't feel like he's, you know, extending it yeah. for another full step or something. It's, it's, yeah. He, he kind of shows a mastery of like, he can do his own thing vocally, but then he also comes in with the music, like on this very first song, I got stars in my eyes, you know? And yeah. then he goes back to doing his own thing. And it's like, that's awesome. It's so, it's so impactful. <laughs> Like he, he's, and his voice, man, it, it's iconic. Yeah. He's the guy that I emulated with any band I was in. 
whether it was my ska band in high school, whether it was my little indie banjo Mumford and Sons wannabe band in college, or if it was our <laughs> metal band that we've been working on, it's it's every one of those instances. I feel like his voice works, and he he is the the voice that I want to sound like. He is the guy that I'm emulating in a lot of the way uh, the, the a lot of songs that I write and the way I try and sing. It's incredible. Mm. You like you can't say you don't get wet. When he's like doing his little uh, like when he does that little like come on. <laughs> yeah dude yes like he doing that shit live like I definitely like get sopping and but uh, uh, so anyway back to <laughs> yeah dude his voice incredible sultry powerful emotional and he some of these lyrics are so personal so like yeah sell you beautiful is pretty obviously about like commercialism, right? Like celebrity worship. Yeah. Um, talking about like who you see wearing a meat coat, who you see in the magazines, who you see on TV, you know, um, the beautification of the world where people, no one's satisfied with the way that they look. It's never good enough. Um, you know, plastic surgery, body dysmorphia. It's, it's about all that stuff and him calling kind of, you know, flipping it on his ear a little bit and being like, why can't we just be happy with ourselves? Like all that these celebrities are doing, all that these companies are doing, all that these advertisers are doing is trying to sell you beautiful is what he's trying to get across. They're trying to tell you like, buy this product and you will look like this supermodel. Yeah. You know, like go watch Jason Statham in, in this movie and like all of a sudden you'll have fucking cum gutter abs. It's, it's kind of the basis of our society. <laughs> It's 100%. I saw an article the other day that said that the human race has been designed to, to only essentially be consumers. Like that's, that's what our culture has been designed around and our society has been built around just being consumers, just, prov- just providing to the bottom line and spending money. So he's calling it out here in 2003 before, you know, I'm sure over history of time, a lot of people were talking about this, but in 2003, it was like post 9-11 a couple of years, so like people were starting to kind of bounce back. I mean, one of the things that George Bush said after 9-11 happened was don't stop shopping. Really? Yeah, I don't know if it, you might have been too young at the time to like be watching the news. and I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I definitely was. <laughs> yeah, keeping up with all this shit. But yeah, that was what he what he was trying to say really was like, um, don't be afraid to go to the mall. Like, the, you're not going to get blown up. Like, don't be afraid to go to the store like no one's going to shoot you on the way to the store like keep shopping we need people to keep shopping um yeah so you know and then two years later it's it was kind of the bounce back of like the shock the initial shock of 9-11 and everyone feeling like just scared all the time and the uh, you know blatant xenophobia and racism that people were expressing at the time and and i feel like before 9-11 9-11 and before this album came out there wasn't a lot there was obviously celebrity worship ever since Hollywood existed and ever since way before that too but like it went so overboard after 9-11 because people wanted to forget about being scared and being yeah. and and you know a, a 2,000 people dying in in the in a manner of a matter of hours you know and and being attacked and feeling like We've never been attacked in this country ever since the 40s, you know, like 60 years later, holy shit, like we got attacked again. And so I feel like TMZ came out around that time, all these like big celebrity tabloids like blew up around that time and everyone wanted, that's when social media started 
um, kind of getting bigger. MySpace was like big at that time. Yeah. Living online, representing your life in a certain way online, which I saw it even at 16 when I was on MySpace with my friends who were posting pictures of themselves. And I'm like, bitch, that's not what you fucking look like. <laughs> like that's that was happening a lot. So I, I feel like he was he felt the need. They they somehow felt the need to put this as the opener on the album. And I think it was because they wanted to call that out. I, th- I think it's a fantastic opener musically, but I would like to kind of hear their reasoning for it to be the first song on the album, like, you know, for its message. It might just be because it might just be because it hits so fucking hard. I, you know, maybe sometimes it just happens like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason why uh warhead ended up as the first album on the Mortalis record is because it's one of our, it's one of the songs that just starts out, which it almost immediately starts out. Just, yeah. Yeah. The, the vocals start immediately. And that was kind of what was going on with this. I felt like this and and decrescendo, the last song were just like perfect Ooh. bookends to oh. this. Dude, uh, I I yeah. I I'm so excited to get to decrescendo. That's another. That's oh, this whole album was so good live. I I got, I saw them tour with Real Big Fish uh, to tour this album. Oh. It was so fucking good. Um, so yeah, sell you beautiful. It's about you know the pressure. Uh, on people, especially like women to like conform to like beauty standards, you know, corporations and like society pressuring people to like cover up things that aren't conventionally beautiful, you know, like, Hey, get a, get that fucking birthmark removed. You grossoid or get that fucking mole removed. No one's going to love you with that mole. Um, you know, he had, he has lines about like, um, related to like eating disorders and like purging and, you know, talking about thin celebrities and not being able to like keep up with these looks, you know? And, People ignored the the impact that that had on men too for a long time up until recently. Where just like yeah, men experienced body dysmorphia also because of celebrity worship. It's the same. Everyone deals with it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then you keep you kind of keep putting yourself in pain, getting all these surgeries to like look beautiful. You keep uh you know like the owners of these corporations like they money is the most important thing to them, and they're willing to like lie and manipulate to you to keep getting more money. I mean that's that's what he's calling out, and it kind of reminds me of my friend who uh, her favorite band is rise against. And she, every time she brings up rise against, she says the same thing. Every time they are still really good. And they're still really popular because they're still singing about the same things that they were singing about 20 years ago, because nothing's fucking changed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) And I think that's like this song. It's like you said, this could come out today and still be extremely relevant to what is still happening in our society. Yeah, I think I think especially Newsstand Rock and uh, Overcome are some tracks that I was like, dang, I like if those were made today, I wouldn't blink twice because like those seem very topical. Newsstand Rock. I mean, it is weird to like hear some of these songs and, and be like, wow, it almost is more relevant today than it was when this came yeah. out. You yeah, because at the time, not a lot of people were thinking about stuff like this. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of um, woke people, I guess, however you want to call it. I hate that term, but it's it. I, yeah, it's it's weird. Like we're kind of realizing that maybe uh, I don't know the system that we've been raised with isn't actually the best thing that we could have, you know, and might actually be deterring our happiness. You know, and, yeah. and things like that. It's, 
I don't, it's not, it's not like a new development, that kind of thinking, but I think it's definitely getting more popular, especially right now when the government is, is, is being a very big issue. <laughs> yes. And so apparent with it, you know? Uh, so I guess, geez, we're already at 53 <laughs> minutes. We haven't even gotten to the second song. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was gonna happen. <laughs> all right, well, all right, let's move on then. Okay, sell you beautiful, great opener. Uh, next song, prophetic. I love that it opens up with that, like, sounds like it's coming from the radio, like weird horn stuff, and yeah, yeah, and uh, one of the very few instances of the horns on this Ooh. album. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty front and center um, on this song but man it's this is another one that fucking starts so loud and and the drums are just going crazy right off the bat and then yeah. they get into a super catchy chorus with this like syncopation hits and and you know Matt Embry singing about like I don't even know like hiding what you don't like about yourself and like causing yourself harm and the chorus he says like it's the choices that we choose in our everyday abuse yeah um, that and a lot of people don't realize that, that they are abusing themselves and like they're, they're a detriment to themselves. Yeah. And I thought that was a pretty, it's, it's a pretty smart title, I think. Cause what I took from it is that, uh, that we're kind of being prophetic about harming ourselves cause we're being prophetic about it. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I you know, I wanted to hear what you thought about that because I could not I could not put together why it was called prophetic. Yeah, I thought it's like it, it might just be kind of the zone I'm in right now. <laughs> sure. But like uh the song uh Just Another Parsec is kind of about like uh hey man, you got to do it yourself. You know, I can only play this music and help you out but you got to do the final things and that's kind of the same vibe i got from this is that like uh we are kind of going through this horrible thing but if you only like think negatively about everything and you keep harming yourself then of course things are going to stay bad right and so we're kind of prophetic about the uh choices that we choose and we're all prophetic fools mm-hmm yeah, it is kind of like a, a self-fulfilling prophecy, but also it's exactly. like, it's the same thing as like, um, oh yeah, I get that now. Self-fulfilling prophecy, prophetic. Okay. I see the connection. Cause to me, it's almost like, yeah, you're not taking responsibility for your actions. Like I can tell you day and night what you need to do and things that you can do to help yourself. But if you don't apply those things, nothing's ever going to change. It's the same thing with people who constantly complain, you know, oh my God, I'm so fat. I don't fit into my clothes. I wish I could lose weight, blah, blah. And then you don't do anything about it. And it's almost like you're more comfortable and it's way easier to just sit there and, and bitch about your current situation than do anything about it. It's harder to do something about it and get out of that situation. Yeah. But I still feel like he isn't talking down to anyone. Like he's not preaching. No, he's trying to build like you he's, up. He's in this situation as well. And he's kind of, you know, he's just trying to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get into that in some of the l l songs coming up, but he definitely harms himself 
in yeah. in a few ways. Uh, and that was this is that's another reason why I feel very connected to this band and. I've uh, very like emotionally and personally connected to Matt Embry and his mental and physical health as a person that I've never even met before. I am <laughs> so invested in him being okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is the song again, it's just another like super, very heavy themes, but man, just like nonstop fucking rock music. Oh yeah, so many, ah, so many good lines. Innocence is overrated, you know. Like now we're saying innocence is fucking overrated. Like being a kid and just like not being exposed to the shittiness of the world and and just like allowing the shittiness of the world to to get into your mind. It's like that's being innocence overrated. Like let's fucking move on. We all need to be aware of what's happening. And it's just like I don't know. I think like in in I think he's trying to say also like kids aren't allowed to even be kids anymore because even kids are looking at celebrities and being like I'm never going to be that pretty. Yeah, yeah. They are already being raised to it to expect a standard that's nearly unattainable. For absolutely, and I mean you know current times too, but just like back then, just it's been going on for for as long as you know. Oh, it's even. I feel like it's even worse now because there yeah. are like YouTubers and influencers that are their age, you know, mm-hmm. and there were always child stars and child actors and stuff, but now it's so accessible. You, all you need to do is get your phone and you know, you just uh, post a YouTube. It seems so close, uh, but it's actually, you know, it's still it's extremely kind of difficult. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, I read this morning that, the YouTuber kid, Ryan, that's like, he just opens toys on YouTube. Ryan. Yeah. Ryan. He made $29 million this year. Only that much. Yeah. And he's nine, 10. That, I mean, that might only be from the products he has in stores. Does that he have his own products? For, yeah. He has his own products. He has his own TV show. He has his own video game. He has, what? What? It's, I mean, it's all this kid's parents, right? What? It's. Yeah, he's I, being exploited for sure. I'm not exaggerating when I say 29 million is probably one of the many things that he like earns money. From. I think, not yeah, him, I think it was specifically YouTube. He made 29 million dollars from YouTube this year. Just from like ad revenue. Sure. I had no idea that he had his own product line. Oh, yeah. He's got his own, you know, toys, his own action figures. He's got his own Switch video game. It's on the Switch. What do they do? Open toys? It's it's a racing game. You know? Oh, fuck off. Dude, this kid, <laughs> his parents are definitely fucking using him. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know that kid has no, I mean, and he shouldn't, but you know he has no control over that money. I mean... It's going to be it's going to be very interesting with all these kids, with all these family channels, which are very controversial right now. So as they weird. should be so weird because these kids are going to get older. And when that happens, it's going to like, are they going to have a falling out with their family over Absolutely. where all the money goes? Like they're going to develop this weird complex about themselves. It's it's going to it's going to not look very good. <laughs> No, man, the, 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 the kids that are being raised right now, they're being raised in a society that's like hundred percent, um, expects instant gratification. They all think that they are celebrities. They all think that they deserve to have an audience. I mean, we're saying that while we're sitting here fucking, you know, 
<laughs> hoping that people listen to this podcast, <laughs> you know, but it's, yeah, I wasn't doing this at 10. I wasn't doing this at 15 or 16. I was just having fun. Like, and I also don't expect this to skyrocket me off into fame no. and pay for my Lambos, you know? No, um, <laughs> me neither. And that's not the point either for me. Yeah. Um, but I have a niece now um, that she's eight, I think. And she pretends that she has a YouTube channel. So she... Well, I think that's fun. I think it's very cute, obviously, because she mimics yeah. what she sees on YouTube. So she pulls out her phone. She goes, what up, YouTube? It's your girl. You know, says her name. And then she's like, I'm here with my uncle, Lucas. Lucas, say something. And she'll, like, point the phone at me. <laughs> and, and I can I can see she's not recording. But she's like, I'm on YouTube Live right now. Okay. How's it going? I was about going? to check. It's like, are you sure she's not actually recording and putting up on YouTube? 100% sure. Like, and <laughs> okay. she's not, she's, I mean, she's eight. So she doesn't have any social media. She's on YouTube, but just watches stuff on YouTube. She's not posting videos on YouTube because that just gets even fucking weirder. That the like YouTube is designed to um, attract children. Yeah, it's that's where bulk of yeah. their revenue comes from. That's why a lot of, you know, obviously inappropriate stuff isn't on there. But even things like, it, it, you know, just like slight profanities, cuss mm -hmm. words, and weed uh, stuff, just like. Yeah, like it's it's very heavily monitored for that stuff because it needs to draw in ad companies and right, you know, children, which is like kind of the main demographic at the moment. So fucking strange because the things that I watch on YouTube are like, you know, sometimes I'll just watch a guy in Canada smoke a joint. <laughs> he posts a video every week of him smoking a joint and talking about it and what it's like and blah blah. And that dude has two hundred fifty thousand followers. But an, yeah. another weed YouTuber guy that I follow, he, he gets, he's got his account deleted two, three times now. And if they force him to start new, he loses all his thousands and thousands of followers and he has to start new. And it's because of this focus on kids. And I remember going through my advertising classes in college and learning that it was illegal to advertise to children. Really? At, at one well, point, sure isn't like that anymore. No, at one point it was illegal to advertise to kids. You couldn't directly advertise to them. That's why like camel cigarettes got in a lot of trouble when they came up with Joe camel, their little cartoon, uh, mascot, mm. because they're like, it's a fucking cartoon. You're, you're trying to get kids <laughs> to want to smoke camel by the time they're 16, you know, uh, huh. You're trying to indoctrinate these kids to like, Oh, I want to, I want to smoke a cigarette. Oh, camel was cool. Joe camel's cool. You know? So um, that was a big thing, advertising to, ki to kids on TV, and then that has just completely gone out the window. I mean, does that extend to, like, a YouTuber saying, like, hey, buy my merch or, like, download this app? No, I think, I think the lines have either been completely blurred or don't exist anymore. Mm. <laughs> so it gets a little confusing there, but, yeah, um... This is definitely, uh, I don't even know how we got started about that, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say, uh, maybe we should go to the third song. Yeah, let's go to the third song. Um, <laughs> new Stan Rock. America's got a brand new one. Dude, I love that intro. Uh, it just, again, just starts. It just fucking, the first like, three songs in this album do not let up. Yeah. Like for some reason, that just that hi-hat. And then do, 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 like the kind of radio sounding yes. drums and then it explodes into the music. I love that. All the guitars like the, slowly click on. You hear them kind of strumming a little bit, yeah. getting ready. Dude's kind of laughing and I don't know something about it's very cool. 
<laughs> yeah, man. And that was, that was a huge song for sure because it talks about, I mean, that's the only complaint that I have about our expanded is especially this era. And a little bit before this was that the lyrics were almost on the nose, like too on the nose sometimes. That <laughs> didn't have a lot of subtlety, not a lot maybe? of subtlety. It was pretty obvious what they were trying to get across in each song. And I feel like as they progressed album after album, they got a little more, um, into analogies and a little more into like metaphors and saying one thing, but try, but actually talking about another. And this song is called news stand rock. It's about, news media and how they manipulate people in brackets exposition <laughs> right yeah and this it's, is the brackets album by the way a lot of brackets <laughs> a lot of parentheses a lot of like second titles um, or extensions <laughs> yeah and yeah this was like their most politically charged song um to date other than like in all rwanda's glory on uh progress mm. That one's talking about genocide and, and racial wars and racial tension and all that stuff. And this is very much like just as political in the sense of like the, the news media is manipulating you and they're creating their own narrative. And how much more relevant could that be than today where half the country is living in one reality and the other half is living in a completely different one? Oh, yeah. Even even in the same household. Even in the same <laughs> like household. My mom and me. Right. And, <laughs> and that's thanks to news media thanks to social media. And this is when the shit really started. The, the biased news reporting. I mean, nine 11 radicalized me when it happened. Like nine 11 made mm. me pay attention to politics and pay attention to things going on outside of the U S because before you're just so blissfully ignorant to everything. And then all of a sudden something like that happens and you start paying attention and noticing how much bullshit happens behind the scenes and you're, and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, so this song yeah. is very like talking about the mindlessness of American society about our culture, how we just kind of, yeah, blissfully ignorant, just don't pay attention to it and it won't bother you. Just keep buying. Like Bush said, just don't stop shopping. You know, we need you to keep shopping. I feel like this song also has a very big, like Mars Volta influence on it. Yeah. To me, it's like, I can hear the Mars Volta feel in the drums and in the like little, time signature changes that they do. And I think it's their heaviest song that. too, so far on the record. Yeah. Disagree with yeah. me if you want to. No, I mean, fucking like... fight me. <laughs> it's just hard to remember all the songs. I know. You know? Yeah. I almost I wish we could listen to down along. the mountain. Ooh. Had some pretty hard parts in it. That one and mastering the list. Ooh. Okay. New Stan uh, rock. I feel like that's pretty, you know. It's a pretty, pretty straightforward song. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. And they finally let up a little bit with the next song, Overcome, which is like the one reggae ska-ish song on the record. Yeah. But they but it kind of uh, accelerates throughout, right? Yeah. I love that it slowly builds yeah. and gets faster and faster as the song goes. Like it kind of builds tension. I love that. And then uh, another kind of another notch in my little theory that these songs were kind of are kind of paired up is that, you know, this one's just also about, uh, basically like kind of the Iraq war that was happening for sure. Had enough of his politicians wars. Yeah. You know? Again, a little on the nose. All we need right now is love. It's like, it's a little <laughs> cheesy. That'd be nice. Right. The one, the one <laughs> review I read of this album calls out that line specifically. It says it makes him sound like a high school kid who discovered Bob Marley. 
<laughs> and wrote a, wrote a song about it. And I'm just like, yeah, like Bob Marley is cheesy, but it's impactful. You know, sometimes the simplest lyrics or the sim- saying something in the most simplest way has the most impact. Yeah. And I've, you know, you feel like he means it. It's not like he's saying it just to say it. Yeah. He's you know, not trying to be that guy. Bob Marley would have said it. Yeah. He's not trying to, he's not, yeah, he's not putting on airs for sure. Like he legitimately believes this stuff. Jeez, um, not. Man, I love these lines. The just cause you can't see your cage doesn't mean that you are free mm. when there are laws against nature, but it's okay for you to be addicted to over the counter prescriptions and magazines dictate all of our human relations. I mean, he's just like, it's so again, it's very on the nose, but it's so fucking poignant. And it's, it's, uh, a lot of punk bands were ta- talking about this shit at the time, but not putting it to music this good. <laughs> so that's what set it apart <laughs> for me. It's, you know, it, this kind of reads like, like a slam poem or like yeah. a diss track or something. For sure. You know, like there's not really a chorus. It's, it's just kind of verse after verse, line after line kind of ramping up, you know? throughout the song yeah it just picks up pace which like picks up the tension he gets a little angrier as the song goes on yeah he starts putting in a little more of those <laughs> those little matty growls that i love Ooh, and the uh the, uh the transition from this to the next song i thought was kind of kind of brilliant oh man yeah um i don't know if we're there yet but oh we're there this is this yeah. this song, yeah. It's it's it uh, it's pretty fucking straightforward, um, but so good. Very like again, so relevant. Talking about like, I love how he puts a military scoreboards where it's just like we're just trying to win, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. without really thinking like, hey, we're just killing innocent people to win. Um, and yeah, the next song. This is where we get into some of that self harm that we were talking about with Matt. Um, Never slept so soundly. My favorite song on the album. And it's, I love kind of the, what I perceived as uh, a kind of dichotomy of his emotions where overcome the last line is, but I'm not giving in. And then it goes into never slept so soundly Yep. where it's like he, one side of him wants to be kind of optimistic and strong. And like, I'm going to keep fighting this fight in the other side of him. Uh, maybe he feels like he's already resigned himself. He's already given in. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, that's really cool to call that out. I never thought about the order of the songs and, and how they can tell a story, but that's really interesting. And I wish I'd asked that question when I interviewed Steve fucking 10 years ago, um, <laughs> which is kind of, that's something else. that Maybe I th- we can get him on. Dude, he, oh my God, how cool would that be if we can get him on? And we're just oh, like, I mean, we have an R expanded podcast. We made a podcast. three hour podcast about you guys. Can we get you on, dude? If we made an R expanded podcast, we would definitely get them on. If we just do the R expanded series on this podcast, maybe we could pull it off. I, <laughs> I honestly, you're putting ideas in my head, and I like it. You're incepting some good ideas because I have a connection to these people through a friend, a mutual friend. So we could potentially do something like that. But, um, you know, that's future shit. But yeah. Never slept so soundly um, to me is pretty obvious, but I might be reading into it um, about heroin addiction. Yeah. I mean, the, the first time I listened to it, I like my first inclination is always surface level. 
like I'm very bad about that kind of because I kind of rebelled against my English classes. <laughs> uh, you didn't want to interpret so the first time. The first time I thought this and uh, taking chase were just about, you know, a woman like, uh, lovers. Yeah. 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 It's very uh, much like it could be a, a, a love story or a story about breaking up with a lover. Yeah. But then you, you, you know, you listen to it again and like, okay, this makes more sense if it were <laughs> about a drug, probably heroin. Yeah. I mean, the chorus, <laughs> he's saying like a junky smile, pilled up smiles, sloppy eyes. Like, I think it was pretty obvious that like Matt was starting to struggle with addiction and sobriety. Yeah. Like it's, and yeah. it's such, to me, it always blows my mind and it impresses me how like a musician, when they can put their own personal issues on a song and it, it's still a good song and it's still really catchy and you listen to it, whether you know that it's about his drug addiction or not. And they're so poetic about it and so open about what they're dealing with that it's like, you, I feel like that that's like a next level of you're not only a musician at that point, like you're also an artist. And I, and I know yeah. that's like a language thing. You can call musicians artists and I agree, but yeah, this is, this is where it becomes artistry where you're, you're really putting your personal life into a song and not ruining the song and making it about just your shit. He's not saying I'm dealing with this. He's saying, this is a story I'm telling. But it's when you sit down and you listen to it. I thought it was about a woman for years. And then I found yeah. out that he had a heroin addiction. Or that he was struggling with some sort of drug addiction. And then I went back and listened to this album. And I was like, he is talking about it on almost every song. He was talking about it on the previous album. He's talking about Push the Plunger. Talking about needles. That her love isn't a needle. That, you know, like he is, he's been talking about it. Just like Brad Noel. Like he's was talking about it and everyone was just like, Oh, it's a love song. Mm. And this but is, you, yeah, you, <laughs> once you learn more about the artist, then you can go back and look at their work and, and you're looking at it through a totally different lens at that point. Oh yeah. I, I especially love the line. It's just the third, I'm just going through the genius lyrics, emptiness inside her filled my room. Yeah. It's just like the emptiness inside of the like syringe, like, filled him and I, I I thought that's a kind of beautiful way to phrase that. Yeah. I don't know why that line in particular got me, but <laughs> Yeah, it, I think it's again it's it's poetry at that point. Um because yeah. there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. And uh yeah, the emptiness inside her filled my room. It's almost like um I get nothing out of this relationship, but it's completely surrounding me. Like this, this relationship is empty and completely one-sided and I get nothing out of it and it's, and it, it's surrounding me right now, right? It's, it's his whole world. Yeah. And when that plunger is empty as a drug addict, that's all you can think about. Even as a, as a stoner, when you don't have weed, it's one of the, it's like at my worst, I wasn't okay until I got weed. You know, you can't say that's not an addiction. Yeah. Where if I don't have any, then I'm not happy all of a sudden. Or that movie's not going to be as one funny. Of the main priorities. It becomes your priority. That's where your money goes to. You know, like an alcoholic will buy a fucking bottle of rum before he'll pay for gas in his car. Yeah. So like, and it's again, it's, it's the choices that we choose in our everyday abuse. 
He's talking about that. He's like, I'm making a choice to abuse myself every single day. I'm making a choice to do something I know is not good for me, but I can't stop doing it. Yeah. And you pair that, that like deep, those deep lyrics with like, you know, changing time signatures constantly. It, it almost sounds like a, a police song on fucking crack. Um, the <laughs> intro, the kind of like the, the horns doing something that you don't really know what the melody is or what the beat is because they're doing like a weird time signature and the horns are coming in weird, the little plucky guitars in the intro before everything kind of like picks up. And, um, and then, yeah, all the, like, it's just, it's beautiful. Like all the maybes in the world don't mean anything now. We're like, yeah, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Like that doesn't fucking mean anything now. You know, like you got to do something now. I used to think he was saying all the babies in the world don't mean anything now. And I thought that was so <laughs> deep when I was like 17. Cause I thought it was like anti-war anti whatever. Now all the babies don't matter. <laughs> that's, that's my interpretation. Yeah. I don't care how many babies you got, dude. Yeah. All the babies don't <laughs> matter now. Um, and I, I thought I was like, that's so deep. And then I read the lyrics. I was like, it's even deeper than I thought it was. <laughs> and there's so much guitar work going on that you, if you're not paying attention, they're both doing different shit pretty much the whole song. And it's at ones in each. Yeah. Ear. And th- I believe this is the first album where there were two guitarists, right? I think Steve, um, the rhythm guitarist, I think he was on, or he might be the lead, but he was on progress. He played on progress, but this was the first album that he was involved in the writing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that. That's where, Oh, so you also, went to the wikipedia page (laughs) yes i also found the additional notes oh you and you also went to genius so that means any of these annotations i'm calling out as like deep thoughts you've also seen those and i'm trying to pass them off as these are my original thoughts (laughs) well you could have a different interpretation of them no i just copied and pasted it into my notes oh okay you you got a script on you i am reading that's exactly what i'm doing i'm so glad we're both yeah i got the paper right here yep i wrote a whole lot uh, obviously. Um, but yeah, this song, um, man, it has that great, like sing along the sing together. Yeah. Like, I love that part. You know, it goes without saying that he's absolutely killing it on every single track. I don't think we really even need to reemphasize that. Yeah. I, the, every song. Would you say that the drums are the best part of this album? No. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> Whoa! I mean, people. I think <laughs> you're a drummer, dude. Instinct. You gotta fucking stick with your brothers. That no, dude. That's how I am. I'm my you're favorite self-hating band. Drummer. Rush, the Mars Volta, Mute Math, all bands where the drums are like the lead instrument. Yeah. I think I'm just a dumb drummer boy, but uh, the drums on here are amazing. But I think this album. I don't know, man. Like, it's 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 together is better than its separate parts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't think there is a best part of this album. I don't think there's a best instrument. You know, they all take turns and they all are doing these little things and listening in headphones. You hear these tiny little. Oh, I didn't know that was even playing. Yeah, you listen you know, to this on a stereo, kinda... and it's a totally different experience to listen to it with headphones. It just totally adds the dynamics, you know? Yeah. And I think the, the guitar work on this album is, it's kind of hard to like on first listen, you don't really notice it that much unless it's like super front and center, Mm. but usually it's pretty like 
intricate and they're doing a lot of things and they they, they add to the song a lot, but you don't really notice it. Yeah, because it all blends so well together, right? Like you, that's what like when I was listening to this recently, it was like each earbud has each guitar, one's pan left, one's pan right, and they're both doing completely different things. <laughs> yeah. They're not even playing the same notes, and it somehow <laughs> all works together, and it is super cohesive. And it somehow, it doesn't make melodic sense when you, when you just try and listen to the guitars, you're like, how did they even write this? This doesn't make sense played together. What key is this in? You know, that's still a good question. How the fuck on every single song, how the fuck did the horns write anything to this? How do you write? How do you, it's like writing horns to a fucking Mars Volta song. How do you do that? You know, and that might be why they, they left later on. (laughs) <laughs> well, that is a little tidbit I can tell you from my interview with Steve. Yeah. He, he told me that they didn't, obviously they didn't get rid of the horns um, because they didn't like them or anything like that. They thought that they had gone as far as they could in their songwriting with the horns. And they felt that the horns did hold them back in their songwriting because they had to make sure to write something that the horns could write something to it. Mm. But how the fuck can the horns write? something to this. <laughs> this, this is already hard enough. That's what I mean. It's just like, dude, the out al- two albums before you got rid of the horns. I still was like, how are they like, that's how good these horn players are <laughs> is that they're able to write to this like weird avant-garde prog rock music. That's also reggae and also punk. Like, I don't like if I were these guys, I'd, I didn't sign up for this. Right. I thought we were just going to be playing some, some two-tone. I thought we were just going to be doing some sublime covers. No, the saxophonist, <laughs> the saxophonist went off and did his own thing. And it's like very, um, reggae, like pretty much all of it. So he, I think he probably was looking for something else to do as well. Um, that band's called Satori. They're kind of hard to find. Um, but the, their first record is amazing. So yeah, after, uh, never stuff so soundly, then it's like, I think again, I think you're right with these like pairs taking chase of the serpent. So there's feels like an extension of the song. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And this, this song kind of helped me figure out that the song before was also about drugs. Yes. Cause this one is a little more like, you know, first off chasing, taking chase as the serpent slithers. That's, I don't know. That kind of makes more sense. The ser- little ser- the drug serpent slithering through his veins, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, so slow. it's uh, I feel like it's so easy to 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 do that analogy where a a, a drug addiction is like an addiction to a person. It's yeah. the same concept, so like it makes sense to frame a song about drug addiction uh, in the con- in the frame of a love story or a heartbreak, you know, a breakup song. Mm-hmm. But it's like again, writing that while like the groove is amazing, the horns were great on this. The I love the guitars during the bridge, the, like little delayed guitar work that they were doing during the bridge, the breakdown yeah. with the drums and the bass and you know, it was really percussion after the bridge where Matt is just like, so his vocals are so like, he sounds like he's about to cry and it's so passionate though. And he's still like really powerful. Like he really sounds like he's struggling with something, but it's still like really beautiful and aggressive. Yeah. He still makes sure that he's doing the dang song. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like he still delivers despite the fact that he is like really laying it out on the table. I, I I wonder what it's like to be in a band like that where you know that the songs that you're playing are essentially an autobiography of someone in your band that's struggling with a with a addiction. Just like how how do you how do you help write that when you're just like, dude, you're talking about being addicted to heroin. Like, we should go to rehab. 
but it's like no let's just write an album yeah you know it's it's I, it, that must be tough it's got to be so hard man you i have no idea how you even how do you even bring that up you know yeah you're seeing someone like <laughs> killing themselves slowly every day and it's just like all right let's work on the next record and you're just like oh i i swear this is the last time i'll tie it is one of the lines from the album after this one and it's just like dude you're talking about tying one on and fucking doing heroin like can we like this is the third album you've been talking about heroin like it's just it's it's got to be so hard as a as a friend and as a uh, band member with someone like that. I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. In the in the Chris is his name the drummer. Yeah, he's been around since the very beginning. Yeah, he has. He tried out as a to be a trombone player, <laughs> and he was a terrible trombone player. And then he just hopped on the drums to fuck around, and they were just like, "Whoa, what?" And he's just like, oh, yeah, I play drums, too, but I wanted to play horns in, in a ska band. And they're just like, no, you're the drummer. <laughs> Fucking playing horns. Get the fuck out of here. Get it, dude, just, just, whatever. Yeah. I'd be so pissed off if I found that out, like, album three. <laughs> like, what? Dude, you you're mean... You're an we, amazing drummer? We had fucking Mike playing that shit? You could be doing this the whole time? <laughs> Fucking four on the floor bullshit? So I'm, I'm glad we figured that out. <laughs> On the first album. This song, too, Taking Chase, is, is the closest to their old shit, I feel like. It's the closest to ska reggae of any song on this album. Yeah, I kind of thought that about uh, Paltrow. Really? Paltrow is, like, so weird for me and different. I don't know. It's I, I think it was, like, something in the verse where it... I don't know. It's, it's not, like, beachy. And it's no. kind of reggae... I don't I don't know I don't know how to describe it but I thought like if any song were to you know be on the last album I feel like it would be this one. Yeah, um Paltrow was the song that I skipped a bunch. I knew it, dude. You knew it? I was thinking of the songs and I was like the beginning you were probably thrown off by the, those guitars, man. 100%. I dude <laughs> you you know me, man. Yeah, it sucks because it's a great song. It it. I mean, they're all great songs. It might be my second favorite on the record. Oh wow! But it took me a solid year to finally listen to it, and when I did, I had listened to it on a repeat for like a few days because I finally <laughs> understood it. It just like clicked, and you're like, I can't get enough of this song now. Yeah, to me, it was like the first bad song that Arch Bandits wrote, and then I finally like. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to sit and listen to it. And I remember the moment I was in, I was riding in the car with my family and I was just like, oh my God, this is blowing my mind. Like I started tearing up, which happens a lot. listening to this record. I can't sing along to this without tearing up to most songs. Christina found you like open the door, check on you. You're just like, stuck so long. Dude, I, my voice cracks and I get like fucking choked up singing some of these songs, um, which happens with a lot of music for me. But this in particular, his voice just breaks my heart, man. Yeah. It's got that, I think it's got that perfect combination of, uh, technique and soul. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He does have like that white blue eyed soul. He can, he can kind of move between that stuff with ease, man. He's so incredible. Yeah. His solo stuff is great too. I still need to check it out. It's good. A lot of it's like acoustic <laughs> kind of more indie stuff, but it's, it's great. Um, but yeah, the lines in this song, like, when she's in my blood, you know, it feels so nice. Pretty fucking, mm. you know, on the nose. Shaking in the morning like I've been kicked all night. Like, this dude's just fucking, man, he's just putting it out there, dude. I, 
it's so heavy. It's such a heavy topic. All right. <laughs> uh, let's go on to Republic. Is that what you're thinking? Yes. I think Republic is the next, like, slice of the album that is another just aggressive block of music. This and the two songs after it are just, just like the yeah. first three songs on the record. It's just like, all right, let's go back and fucking, like, rock your fucking faces off again. Yeah, dude. Similar I themes, too. love this song. Similar themes, like uh, obviously about like America and imperialism and what the country was like after 9-11. Very similar things. Uh, Yeah. As kind of uh, the third and fourth song a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think this one and uh, this is the the last song to me that I I know exactly what he's talking about. I think after this song, it does kind of get a little more vague into like what, how you can interpret it can go one way or the other. This is the one, this is the last one on the album that to me, I'm just like, this is spot on. I know exactly what he's talking about, mm. but yeah. I'd, well, I'm be very glad to hear it. Cause I'm, I'm like basically got a guess. Well, it's a silly little guess for each one. To me, it's just like, again, you might've been too young at the time, but it's, it's post nine 11, um, culture. What, how our society changed post nine 11, uh, and this is very much about that, where we felt the response to something like 9-11, obviously, you know, you have to have some aggressive response to it, but the response of like the xenophobia and the, the racism and just the general fear that people were living in every day because no one fucking knew what to expect anymore. Um, mm. A plane could crash into a building now all of a sudden, like we'd never seen that before. And so I think like that's really what this is about. It's It's, you know, like, you don't have to look to see it every day. It's designed for you to think that there's no other way. If you got the look, they sell you like, you know, there'll be dollars all around, but when decisions come, you still like, you'll find that you don't have any say. It's just like you, they're, they're giving you this idea and this feeling of safety and control of your own life. But then you realize like, you know, when you boil it down, you still aren't, you can't, you have no control of your life. The people with money are in control, not you. That's so interesting because it i i was far too young when 9-11 happened i was like six yeah i don't remember anything from yeah it, it had no impact on you so probably. when i read these lyrics i took it as more of a uh kind of this you know the the one percent ruling this system have you forgotten you're still dying in their world just to be seen not to be heard like you don't actually have any real influence on this system because they've rigged it. Right. Yeah. I think it, it was, that is, I think you're, you're spot on. That's definitely part of it. Of just like realizing that like, you're still being controlled. You have this false sense of control of your life. Yeah. Like we're, are, we're brought up to believe that we're the most free nation, you know, and we could do anything we want, but we, they really kind of have this, have us stuck in this system of labor where we can only, you know, we, we work our, our skin off so that we can get some little, little nibble of what they have all the time. Right. And you, you, like, you think that you're getting ahead and you're becoming successful and you're breaking out of that system or you're not, you're no longer a cog in the machine or whatever. And then you realize like, no, I'm still bound to this paycheck. 
Yeah. And this paycheck's coming from someone that has way more power and influence than I do. I'm still being controlled by a paycheck. I can only do so much because of this. And I'm being told that I'm successful because I have a certain amount of money. Yeah. Uh, it's like the, the line that we've all been blinded by the opportunity to play. It's just like we all think like, oh, shit, we can be just as fucking successful and, and happy as yeah. these people are. So like they it's a it's all a facade that yeah. it doesn't matter how hard you try. Really, you you know, you're not going to get to the level that you want to get at. And and I love the line, like if you say what you want and you do what you say, then it's likely that you found yourself a better way. And it's just like break out of the system. Don't conform to what life is supposed to be like. The nine to five, the you know, going to work, driving a minivan. You have a wife and kids and all this shit. It's like that is something that a lot of people want, but that's also something that a lot of people think this is what life is supposed to be like. So if I don't have a wife and kids by the time I'm this age, then I'm a failure or I'm not living a full life or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, you know, because that's what they want you to do. You have kids to contribute to the workforce. Yeah. They don't want you to have kids because it's a beautiful experience, you know, like, and, uh, yeah, I think that's another thing that people are realizing now during quarantine and COVID, how little control we have and how much control people want to take back. Um, which again, just fucking shows to tell, like tells you how still relevant this album is and the things that he was talking about. For sure. And mastering the list, the song after it, man, fucking another, just like one of the heavier songs on the album. Real quick. Uh, the drum part in Republic, like in that intro, the do, do, ka, ka, do, do, ka. I love that. It's one of my favorite parts on this album. It's one of my favorite drum parts in this. And album. it's one of his most restrained parts, too. Yeah, it's it's very simple, but it it's very, it's got some it's got some feeling behind. It. It's got some power. Yeah, as know? a drummer, that's what I, that's the shit that makes me want to, or like that's the shit that makes me want to be a drummer, is parts like that. <laughs> It sounds fun too. It sounds so fun. <laughs> and it's like, you're, you're, it almost, fit, it sounds like he's in control of that moment. You know, the drums yeah, are driving sure. that moment. Not, yeah. Oh man. I love the way the drums are produced on this record too. There's so, that, that fucking, so that kick drum, that kick drum has some reverb put it's to so it. Juicy uh, and powerful. It's so hot and Dude, I was juicing. I was juicing the whole time I was listening to it. And correct me if I'm wrong, are they kind of Bonham esque the way that they're the way that they were produced and and miked? I just remember Bonham having like a very large sound. Like it sounded like he was in a hall. Like they were recording his drums in a hall, and you're hearing all the reverb from that. Well, you know, it might be due in part to. Uh... I'm sure you saw this in the Wikipedia notes that they recorded like all the guitar, drums and bass live, which is very evident in the energy that they have, which I literally, this is not a joke. I literally don't believe it. I think it's bullshit. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Cause you don't get this kind of quality recording and sound and like these good takes from a live show. Dude, Wikipedia doesn't lie. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. So I don't know why you're questioning anything that you read on there. Yeah. You know, I should probably, you know what? You're right. I should probably just buy what the magazines are telling me. Yeah, man. Newsstand Rock is about support your media. (laughs) Support your local (laughs) media. Yeah, we need support. CNN doesn't have enough money. 
<laughs> I love too the note, quote unquote. I don't know where they got these from because these none of these are fucking. Uh, there's no references to this, so you're, it very well could be a lie where they say like, yeah, the guitar, bass, drums, and keyboards were recorded live. Um, but apparently, they only allowed themselves a limited number of takes for each part, which I think is such a cool idea. And once a take was recorded, it was left as is. There was no like punch-ins. It's such a yeah. cool idea too. You got to be pretty confident in yourself if you're gonna if you're gonna do that. You hear my dog in the background. <laughs> yeah, dude. It reminds me of um, Avenged Sevenfold when they came out with City of Evil, and they have a ton of like harmonizing vocals on that, and they said that they only did one take on all those. Sheesh. And, I, and they killed it. And I'm just like, that is so, that adds so much to it. You, they could easily be. So full of shit, but I want to believe it. <laughs> uh, so mastering the list. Oh man, it. I think it's it goes with the with the pairing thing. It's kind of about uh, being in this system. Yep, the fucked up priorities yeah. of our culture, consumerism. First comes to school, then comes the job, wife and two kids, family car. Yep, you know. Uh. Yeah, was it forming a, forming a line and waiting to die? Something like that? Uh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I falling for the lies that money equals opportunity. Money only equals power, and the people in power are not going to give that power up. So you getting more money yeah. is only if, you know giving you fa- a false sense of, of power and control. Because guess what? Money is also just an agreed-upon agreed concept. That fucking $100 bill in your pocket doesn't mean shit if someone decides it doesn't mean shit. Yeah. It's worthless it's, if it's someone decides it's worthless. It's a concept to think about. Scary as shit, man, <laughs> that our money's not backed up by any real thing. That money is just a number now. Like, someone mm-hmm. can just decide tomorrow. Dollars don't... Dollars aren't valuable anymore. They don't count. And then what? And I... I feel like this uh, kind of the thesis of this song is in no number will ever replace me. Yeah. It's kind of more focused on what this system is taking away from us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a, it, one of the lines here, like strangle art in every form. Oh man. And uh, I, I think that's kind of where this one is focused, but also in relation to Republic. Right. Just kind of a different uh, focus or different. Piece. Man, I think you have something there. I think you're right that they they do seem to be pairing these songs together and have like uh, themes that are related to the other. It would be a crazy coincidence if it wasn't on purpose. I think. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it might just be the fact also that this was what this album is about. So maybe we're just reading so much into it that, but a lot of the themes are repeated throughout this album about like disagreeing with the way that Americans live their lives and disagreeing with capitalism and consumerism and all that stuff. So it might just be like, you know, he's talking about it all over the place and it's just like, Oh, there's two songs in a row that he's basically talking about the same thing. And you know, we might be putting might be, yeah, might be putting, putting too much, uh, eggs into this little basket that we made. Yeah. It's, and I love how that happens sometimes too, where, where fans will just like come up with a theory and they'll ask the artist about it. And they're just like, Nope, that's not at all what we were doing, but, uh, that's awesome that you thought of that. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. That you, uh, decided that. <laughs> and I, and this is the song that has like the, 
the uh, the really long outro that's really cool, very bassy and yeah. spacey. And I love that they set up the drum beat for Dana Dog or Dyna Dog at the outro of Mastering the List. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I didn't notice he that. He does the, you know, the Dina Dog starts out with like, like he's doing that slower at the end of Mastering the List in the outro. He's going, like he's doing the same thing. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah, dude. Like I'm listening to it now. Oh my God. Yeah, like that, that to me was just like, again, next level, dude. Like that is artistry. Like that dude knows maybe when they were recording that song, they knew where they already knew the track listing so that he knew in two songs, I'm going to be playing this, this beat. I want to bring it in right I now. Wonder, I wonder why falling down the mountain is next. Then. Uh, Cause it's fucking awesome. <laughs> that could be it. I guess uh, such a good intro, such a great way to start the song. Um, and it's, oh man, the, the fucking guitars, the, the synth uh, in between the guitars is so good. That beady doody doo. Like in between the the like the really heavy strumming of the guitar, I think one thing that yeah. that our expanders have mastered too is the bridge. They, yeah, I mean they 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 know how to take a song places you don't really see it going. Yeah, and the the and to me the bridges on every single one of these songs is my favorite part. <laughs> They, I, you know, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> oh, I know like falling down the mountain. It puts you in a weird headspace. Like when you're listening to it, it's, it's all over the place. There's very little horns, right? Cause again, it's like, how do you write horns to this? I feel like the use of the synth is like the most proggy of their stuff on the album. I actually thought I kind of heard horns with the guitar parts in the verses, but I, I could be like, putting that in myself um it's it's hard to hear well there's a synth part that goes along with the, the guitar that's going like i think it's like a little low synthy part that they mixed it in really well so it's like it blends in with the distorted guitar part and you it kind of like you have to really listen for it to to see it or to hear it <laughs> but like the horns don't come in until the bridge again and the bridge is like super jazzy and like the horns aren't even playing yeah, a fucking melody. It's, it's it's that bridge where I I'm wondering if they had the name of the song before they finished it, because mm. that bridge sounds like you're falling down a mountain. Yeah, the horns are literally going like fucking all over the place. The drums, yeah. all the guitar, it's very like avant garde jazz. Oh yeah. And they're so good. Sure. Like this song is a great example. They're so good at um, building up tension and getting it really really loud and then immediately cutting it off. Like, uh, where they like, they just build up that whole horns and the drums and the guitars going really crazy and it gets loud and loud and you're just kind of like, okay, this is becoming a bit much. And then they cut it and they just start lightly strumming the guitar. They do the same thing on Paltrow and they're so fucking good at that, man. Oh man. And the lines of like, we're barely living through it. We're just surviving. And he's screaming. I'm so sick of surviving. I'm like, Oh my God, I fucking feel that man. I think that was probably the most relatable, probably the, the line that stuck with me the most on this entire album is just like, him just like so sick of surviving. Yeah. You know, 
just like i'm i'm sick of it too dude yeah man like when are we gonna be able to thrive i'm tired of surviving i want to thrive oh. I'm, I'm sick of just getting by yeah man yeah and i think it's it sucks because it is like all of us have been uh fooled that you know once you get to a certain age or a certain level in your career and blah blah then all of a sudden you're thriving and you're not surviving but it's not fucking true I'm 33 yeah. years old and I'm still surviving technically. Like I'm, I'm not thriving right now, you know? And it's, it's, it's like Biggie said, mo money, you no know, mo money, mo problems. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I was listening to Biggie when I was eight years old. That dude was very impactful in my life too. These guys, I mean, Ari's band has essentially like shaped the way that I thought in my teenage years, like the things that they talked yeah. about, like unity and love, and anti-commercialism, anti-consumerism, anti-capitalism. Like these are things that I like fully embraced in my teenage years. And it's funny that as I like got more into my adult life and I graduated college and I started my career, you, it's so easy to let go of those things. Oh yeah. So easy. It's, you get distracted so fucking easily. Honestly, before, uh, this pandemic kind of brought everything to light for me, Mm -hmm. I thought it was a necessary evil. You know, yeah. I, I saw it as like, there's really no other way to do this. There's no better thing. So this is the best we got, but I I'm slowly coming to realize other countries are doing these, what we consider like communist, horrible, like destined to fail things. And they're thriving. Yep. You know, and it was, it, it, you get raised and you're like, are we, wait a second. Are we the baddies? America? <laughs> are we the baddies? Are we the dummies? Are we under like a dictatorship? Are we, are we under a fascist leadership? And like, kind of. Yeah. We sure have a lot of propaganda. Yeah. I'm, we sure. You know, you talk about you know, other countries indoctrinating their, their, uh, their populations and America is 100% indoctrinated. Oh yeah. We're all t we're taught a certain version of history. We're not taught history. We're taught a pro-American, pro-Anglo-European history. They don't want to talk about all the horrible shit that we've done. They don't want to teach us that. And that's what Trump is trying to stop say, right now too. Yeah, he has that new education plan. Yeah. It, it, it's like it, it's already bad enough that they'll be like, "Yeah, we wiped out the Indians, but they were savages." Right. You know, like it, it, classes will say that. Yeah. And I believed it because I didn't know any better. I was like, these are teachers. They know what they're talking about. Exactly, dude. They must be right. You're putting trust and in it, people who are lying to you. Yeah. You're told the whole, your whole life that the government only does things that are right. So if we're going and bombing Afghanistan, that must be the right thing to do. Like there must be a good reason. Yeah. The government wouldn't do it know? if it wasn't the right thing, you know? And I, and if it didn't benefit us the best. And I, I got know. sent to the office in seventh grade because we were learning about Christopher Columbus and I'm Dominican. So I have a very specific version of the history of Christopher Columbus finding America. Yeah. And I brought it up. They were just like, oh, Christopher Columbus, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, what about when he landed on the island of Hispaniola? And my teacher was like, oh, well, we're not learning about that. We're just learning about when he landed in America. And I was just like, well, what about the Tainos and all the indigenous people that he like raped and killed and enslaved and... What about all the people that he shipped back to Spain to be slaves? And what about like, why are we saying yeah, that Christopher Columbus is great? Like no, I got sent to the office because she said <laughs> that is not the history that we teach. 
She literally oh. she said that to me. Oh God! And she said that is she not the history. Have picked any more dystopian phrases? I mean, I couldn't <laughs> believe I I got in trouble for calling out the fact that she was lying by omission. And this whole thing, uh, Christopher Columbus discovered America, and it's just like that's a fucking lie, and that's a lie that we're told from the moment that we that we start going to school. Yeah, it's crazy, man, and and that's I feel like yeah, this whole like. Just, yeah, him screaming, I'm so sick of surviving. It, it's, dude, that's that's all we can do. And so, like, it's, he's so fucking angry when he's saying it, but it's also, he, he sounds helpless, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 he, he can only, he can only sing about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, like. And it really is so easy to let go of those ideals. Like I was so radicalized after 9-11. I was so, you know, fuck the man. Don't trust the fucking government. You know, not my president. Fucking, you know, bad religion is is bay. And uh, <laughs> our bandits like fucking Matt Embry's a fucking philosopher, bro. And like, you know, just I, I fully like they shaped anti-flag. Like all these bands like shaped the way I thought. And then all of a sudden I find myself at 28 years old buying a Dodge Challenger just because I can afford it and living paycheck to paycheck so I can pay for this fucking car that I didn't need. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to get a TV, I might as well get a 50 inch. I don't want a fucking 32 inch. I'm going to look like a fucking idiot. Like all these things. And I, and I had to call myself out on that maybe a year ago. And especially when COVID started, but a little bit before COVID started, I was just like, dude, I have completely lost who I was. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to live in this system and not give you know, in and go against what they want. Cause it's, it's only going to make things harder. It's only going to cause friction. hundred percent. And it's it, like, you can't, no matter who you are, even if you're the most anarchist person, like you can't do that your entire life. Like it's, you just can't live in this system, in this society that just brings you down forever. You know, yeah. like you, like you gotta, it's, you, it's, you gotta fall in line or it's going to be way harder for you. Starting your own business is way harder than going to work for an already established company, but you get a lot more out of it if you start your own thing. Yeah. But even that, you know, don't try to start your business in making a new phone right? You know, or making a, like making a grocery store. You know, we have all these monopolies that you you can't compete right they'll literally they'll they they won't let you <laughs> yeah you're you can't even enter the marketplace like you can't even get yeah. in the game they don't want you there they don't want competition yeah laissez-faire is another fucking bullshit uh, whatever we can move on from that but <laughs> wait are we going on to uh dina dog dina dog um that's that in paltro i have no idea what those words are. Thank you. I, I, I literally wrote down right here. Uh, <laughs> I, I literally, I looked them both up and it's it, like, there's nothing. Yeah. I said, I, like I wrote down, it took me a while to get into this one because it did. Um, and I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. It's uh, falling down. Yeah. Mastering the list, falling down the mountain and dinner dog are kind of, uh, it, it might just be where I lost brain power or something, but like for the life of me, I can't put him in a solid concept, you know? Yeah. Even though I don't know what the hell he's talking about, I still love the lyrics. 
his little rap sure. part, even though that's kind of lame. That he's kind of <laughs> rapping, but man, he's so good. It's fun. We're having fun. He's so good. Like, um, yeah, the what is it? The beady black eyes, lip licks and shrouded, heartbeats constricted, foam filled with plastic, kiss kiss luxury, heads getting clouded. See the sparkle of the heretic scream, the green gleam, and the yep. four-legged fiend. A flick of uh, fountains and the king's been hailed. Don't worry, baby, because uh, we're off for sale. Like, yeah. woo! <laughs> fucking woo! Get him! So fucking good, Roast man. Em. Yeah, and, and I'm listening to that, and I'm just like, God damn, that's fucking getting me hyped and like fucking giving me goosebumps, and I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> it you could just feel that he feels it man and that's all that matters yeah his lyrics get a little uh, way more out there on the next few albums but this is the one that it's just like this song and paltrow are both just kind of like i don't know what you're fucking talking about but oh, i love it i feel like i got a better grasp on paltrow at least dina dog i think is definitely like dina dog and, and paltrow are the two that stand out a lot to me on this album as being like they don't fit yeah yeah dina dog is is it's it's odd. It's it's got that kind of weird reggae. Yeah. Thing. The horns are so comes good. In with the rocking. It's so familiar. Yeah. The horns like to me make this song. Mm. They're so jazzy and like kind of like swing a little bit. Dude. Like I I wish so bad we had like horns in Mortales. Dude, you don't know how many times I, I wish brought we up. ever found a way to make that work. I don't, I'm sure you were around when I was bringing this up, but getting a baritone sax, I brought that up so <laughs> I, many fucking times. I remember you talked about a synth player. Well, synth would be fun least. too, but baritone sax was something I was pushing for for a while. Like, can you imagine a baritone sax just playing the same guitar part on Doing Time? He's so fucking dope. I mean, the, the, like the possibilities are exciting and endless, you know. Yeah. Uh, but we should probably talk about like the. Album. They add so much more. Yeah. Um, do you know <laughs> what guess. they say during that group vocal part? That that like it sounds like a crowd is is singing with them. On a. On Dina Dog. On, uh. It like gets quiet and they're like. We all like to dance around you. Genius says, don't stop now, feel it. I think. Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. right I remember seeing them live, and every time that part comes on, everyone in the crowd except me knows the line, and I I was so jealous. (laughs) It's kind of like, what? Yeah, I would just be like, yeah, even I was was surrounded by 300 people singing the line, and I still had no idea what they were saying. I just went, I still participated. Oh, that part, that outro, man, the drums and the outro. I mean, again, like we don't need to keep mentioning the drums, but I mean, oh my God, dude, he just, he makes this album for me. He really does. It's, I mean, you can't say that he's not a key member of this band and like the way the music is sounds, you know? Yeah. You had a different drummer. They'd be a totally different band. Yeah. It, like they couldn't do these songs like they do them, which is, I mean, I don't know. This guy's this guy's something else. He's an elite. He's incredible. Yeah, Dina Dog and then Paltrow. I feel like again, like that's a combination. They kind of go hand in hand a little bit. The weirdness of the two, they stand out from the whole yeah. rest of the album. 
Paltrow again, like that was the one that was the hardest for me to get into. I don't even know what Paltrow means. I never understood the meaning of the song. Um, and there's really no other Arx Bandit song like it. Even when they come out later with weirder music and weirder time signatures and weirder guitar parts, this one still stands out. Like nothing other, no other song sounds like this one. It's Paltrow. It's 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 odd. You can't really put it in a category. Yeah. You know, because it's 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 kind of got a little slow, dancey feel, like you're on, like you're looking at some waves coming at you on a on a gentle breeze, and then it goes into this thing that sounds completely different, and yet it like the two parts mat mesh together very well. Yeah, I love the synthy part where it's going like pew 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 pew, like yeah, with along with the beat. Yeah, I don't even know what he's talking about either, but it, it sounds like he's like. It sounds sad. Like it sounds like he's longing for something, but it's it's they have the great balance of sounding sad and like hopeful at the same time. I I kind of saw this as I saw this in decrescendo as a pair. Interesting. Uh, because of the lyrics. Yeah. I I these kind of uh imprinted onto me as more of a oh go off Winston. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him. I'm sure you've heard my dog uh, doing his little fucking moans. He's ready for a walk. Yeah. It's it seems like a kind of forlorn lover type deal to me. I could hear that. Uh, it seems to be drug references. <laughs> could be either or. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it in his case, I think it's definitely drug stuff. Um, Decrescendo might actually be a love story. But I think everything else is drugs. But it's like, but even when I don't know what he's talking about, like the passion in his voice is just like contagious. Like it's he, he makes me feel it, even though I don't know what he's talking about. And this one's like it goes all over the place. It is kind of reggae-ish. Uh, then they have kind of like Asian, like the guitars and the bridge kind of sound like a little Asian, like a little plucky Asian yeah. stuff. And the bridge is uh, there. Goes my dog. The bridge is really pretty, and. Uh, the drums are like again so fucking good. The the song like gradually builds up in intensity until that last chorus, and then it's like all over the place. And there, this is another song that doesn't really have a chorus, doesn't really have like a traditional song structure. Yeah, and sure. I love that they allow themselves to do that. And again, I honestly like learning that Steve was this was his first album that he was involved in the songwriting. He must have been a huge part of this sound. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. I bet you know he's probably the one that brought in those weird, like you know, like that Asian part. Yeah. <laughs> the Asian part in the bridge and uh, things like that, and the the guitar harmonies that they do. I'm sure he was a big part of like that part of the music and uh, with bringing kind of an untraditional structure to their songs. The guitar work on this album is completely different from from Progress. Oh yeah. Sure. So yeah, and and then you realize that this is kind of the sound that they continued on and built upon, and that has to be Steve's influence. He's a fucking he's a really cool dude too. Um, I should like dig up that interview because I wrote it all down and see if I can like pull out any cool things from there. That would have been good before we started doing this episode. Um, ah, we'll save it for the series. Yeah, man. for sure for our buds. <laughs> um, dude, yeah, and then like let's go into the last song, Decrescendo. Oh, dude. 
Oh, oh God. This, uh, before I even started listening to this album a lot, I found this song and this might be, this is probably in my top two or three favorite songs by Oryx Bandits. And one of my favorite songs of all time. Damn. Honestly. This, this song hits all the right notes for me, man. It hits all my favorite music things. Uh, just the way they come in. Yeah. Just that and the, the decrescendo they do <sighs> is weird. It's weird that that works. Yeah. The guitar goes off and oh, my favorite that. part, the, the, the very end of the song where they're all kind of, it seems like they're all bashing on some drums. Yeah. It sounds like there's like, like five toms. Yeah. Love. And, and they do that shit live too. Where the, the horn players on that part each pull out of a floor tom and fucking drum along to that last part. It hits so That's what fucking it hard. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And then they bring in that riff just one more time at the very end. And just done. Oh. Like it's, yeah, dude. Oh. It's so satisfying. It's such a great end to the album. If they ended it with Paltrow, the album wouldn't, wouldn't be as good, in my opinion. Like ending it with decrescendo for sure. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I don't know if there's a better outro than this song, because it's also, you can also see, the did you get what you wanted? You can also see that as being, the listener of the album. Right. Did you get what you wanted from these lyrics? Uh, and that could be a way to see it, and, I don't know. It's just a perfect way to. To end the album so well and done god that chorus is so oh and when he uh when they go into like the last chorus and it's just the vocals yes you know like i love that like i love that as well and i felt like that might have been a little bit of a of a mars volta deal he is kind of singing on like a falsetto almost did you get what you wanted it just reminds me of a very specific part. I'm sure it's a reach, but did you get what you want? He just starts screaming. I love that he just lets it out at that point. It's just like, fucking just let it out. Like, uh, man. Yeah. And then they do that part and they just, whenever they, it's so again, so perfect. They do it so well where they just stop and he just yells, go. And that's when the bam, 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 bam. Oh. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. And I'm take me now. The, I think the pre-chorus is, ama- is an amazing way to transition from the verse to the yep. chorus. It, like, it kind of, it, it gets these new notes and then it, it goes into this, like, triumphant, but. <sighs> again, one of the most, like, straightforward just, beats, too, by Chris. Just like fucking doing what yeah, he has he to just, do. Just a bup, 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 bup. Yeah. But I mean, the second half of it is a little more crazy. Oh yeah. I, I feel like the pre-chorus and the pre-verse, like both, <laughs> both ends of the, of the chorus is just like so fucking perfectly done. Takes you on the ride of the whole song, you know, and just such, yeah. so aggressive, almost like a slipknot esque ending to that song with all that auxiliary <laughs> percussion and just power chords. And yeah. Like him screaming. Oh man, gives me fucking goosebumps, dude. 
it it gave me goosebumps the first time I listened to it. Yeah. Dude, Bo. And that that rarely happens. Yeah. Rarely am I so affected by uh, music in such a in a way like that. I mean, it's and then that's to me that's when you know that the album it might not have the same impact on other people, but like if it has that impact on you, it's like that's something special. Yeah. Yeah. In in. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say, man. I don't know what to say anymore. That's just. That's the album, baby. We've pretty much said everything. <laughs> we, I mean, we're on two hours now. Yeah, that's which it. Which is <laughs> longer than I thought we'd be going. Probably about what you thought we'd be doing. I thought we were going to do about an hour. <laughs> because I slept like five hours last night, and um, I've been shitting myself all day. It wasn't. Good job on I, I'm that not. In, by the way. <laughs> yeah dude it literally it's really funny because now knowing that we're kind of wrapping this up is when it's hitting me again and now i'm starting to hurt okay so i, well, I had that uh, like stage adrenaline let's 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 give this dang thing a rating oh you and, and I'll, I'll let you go first okay uh this is a I, i'd say this is an eight and a half out of ten for me which might seem crazy to you i'm a little upset yeah uh i would say Mandala probably gets in the nines. Uh, and you like Mandala better than this one? I do. Wow. I, do. I, I don't know, man. Well, it's the first one you heard. Yeah, it's the first one I've heard, and it's just got such interesting songs in it. But, uh, you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get an eight and a half out of ten, huh? Eight and a half. Which is... I, I mean... You could probably convince me to take it to a nine, if I'm being honest. Take it to a nine. Like, the more I, I, I listen to it again today, and it's like the fourth time I've listened to it since we decided on this podcast. And each time I listen to it, I like it more and more. So it has the potential oh. to, you know, go up up and score the more I listen to it, honestly. Well, that's another good sign of, like, how good the record really is. I mean... Yeah, I think eight and a half out of ten, especially like considering where you came from, how you like entered into the Arx Bandits verse, you know, <laughs> um, I think it makes sense that you would give it that score. And it's not like eight and a half is a, that's not anything to sneeze at. You know it's what not going to sneeze at. Yeah, I wouldn't sneeze at it. I wouldn't kick it out of bed for eating crackers. You it's, know what I mean? It's not like you know game reviews where it's like if it doesn't get a ninety-five, then it's a trash game or something, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, this this album is not the uh the cyberpunk of albums. Uh, that's that's a whole mess in so, in of itself. So topical. <laughs> nice. When someone listens to this in a year, they're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh all right, eight and a half. Um I you know, again, I had to stop listening to Ars Bandits for a little while because I was getting to the point where I'm just like, I don't want to be tired of my favorite band. Um, yeah. I was, they were like, kind of like the same concept of like, you have the same six CDs in your car. Like they were, anytime I couldn't think of what to listen to while I was driving around, I just throw on an Irish Bandits record. Yeah. Um, so it was getting to the point where it was getting a little stale and I was starting to get kind of tired of it. So I stepped away a couple of years ago. So this is the first time I listened to this album again in probably a few years. Um, and it was great coming back. It was like fucking like a, it was, it was an experience all over again. And again, with the history that I have behind this record and how much it's been a part of my life, I have to give it a nine point 
eight. Nine point eight. It is a nearly perfect record for me. I I'm I'm looking forward to the day that you give out that nine point nine and you give out that ten. I think it's I think it's gonna happen. Really? I think one day you're gonna find this beautiful, beautiful gem and it's gonna <laughs> caress all your places that need to be caressed and it's gonna lick all the places you need to be licked. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like the sound of it. <laughs> I'll start making it for you, man. Uh, dude, I mean, yes, I would love to hear that, that record, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. Well, time will only tell. What record is better than this one is really what I need you to answer for me. I don't know. Maybe run the jewels one. Yeah. You know, that you know, maybe we should give that a listen. Yeah. That's a good idea. I don't think I've ever listened to their first album. Huh? Huh? We should do the next episode on that one, right? Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, we just came up with this idea just now. That's so weird. Well, you know, that's... and I think I got a good idea for the next three after that as well. Oh, you do? Yeah, but we'll, you know what? We'll get into that later. Okay, because this was all on the spot. We no, haven't talked yeah. about anything. Honestly, we just started, you came up with the idea and we just started recording. Right. I called you. You didn't know I was recording. Yeah. And I just said, hey, I want to talk about this album. Well, luckily I was recording just independently. We're always recording all of our conversations. Oh, yeah. If there's a chance I could monetize something, I'll do it. If there's a chance I could um, blackmail you or anyone by recording something that you've said, I, I will do it. Well, good. Fantastic. Yeah. So with that said, this has been the episode, the first episode of Earbuds. I feel like this will probably be the longest one. I doubt it. Because we'll I did not smoke anything during this show and I'm definitely going to be smoking during some shows and that's <laughs> going to get me real talky. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> well, look forward to that. Uh, Probably the that, next episode. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, this was the first episode of earbuds. Thank you for listening. Brett. Good job. <laughs> Lucas, we killed it. Lucas, you know what? You killed it too, man. Good man. job to you. Thank you. I said we killed it, so I'd already covered that. But um, well, thank I you. think you, I think you killed it as well. I think I my performance is about a nine point eight, and yours might have been like an eight point five. You know what? I think that's fair. Okay, then the next episode, <laughs> Brett's gonna try and bring it a little bit more. We're gonna be talking about yeah. Run the Jewels' first record called Run the Jewels. Um, again, I've never heard it. Brett has heard it before, so it's gonna be new to me. Um, and stick around. It'll be coming out uh, next week. Or All right. Look forward to it. And right here is where we're going to have a song playing when we don't know what it's going to be yet. So, with that said, hey, bud. This was fun. <laughs> we're buds. I think buds. so, too. I think so, too, ear bud. Yeah, we're buds now. Um, all right. Well, let's do the countdown and finish the recording. All right. Three. Three.